Hello, and welcome to another episode of Clark Hill's Credit Ego to Go, Curbside Thought Leadership for Financial Services. My name is Joanne Needleman, and I am a partner at Clark Hill, as well as a member of the firm's banking and financial services practice group. I'm honored today to be joined by Nicholas Smith, Senior Deputy Attorney General for the Pennsylvania Attorney General's Office, where he is also Assistant Director for the Consumer Financial Protection Unit. Nick served as a policy analyst at the Department of Treasury, where he was part of the original team to draft and pass Title X of the Dodd-Frank Act, which created the CFPB. Nick then went on to serve at the CFPB as an enforcement attorney for almost five years. Nick, it's a pleasure to, for you to join us today. Thank you so much for coming on to Credit Go to go It's great to be here. Nick, uh, before I get started, I think you were what, number two or three higher at the CFPB? I, I counted as number four. Number four. Okay. Well, you're, you're, you're part of it. You're part of the char- charter member of the chamber. That is for sure. <laughs> so let's talk about, because you really were the auth- one of the authors of Dodd-Frank, um, it had an anniversary this summer, uh, 10 years, uh, which is pretty incredible. And it, in my opinion, went by very quickly. <laughs> um, but who better than you to talk about um, its place in history, uh, its impact, and also, you know, looking ahead now that it has 10 years under its belt, how it really helped financial institutions through this COVID crisis. Sure. Um, well, thanks for having me on, Joanne. Of it's great to be here with you. And yeah, I think, you know, we are very fortunate to have the Dodd-Frank Act in place. And if you looked at the financial crisis that happened in 2008 and the impact it had on the wider economy versus today where we had a major economic shutdown due to COVID and yet no major financial crisis. Um, I think a lot of that is, is due to Dodd-Frank. The banks put in place new capital requirements uh, because of Dodd-Frank. The, there were restrictions on derivatives on, on hedge funds. Um, The shadow financial system, was reined in by the Dodd-Frank Act. And of course, um, the part that I worked on, Title 10, created the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which consolidated the authorities that had been split among various federal agencies. And in the lead up to the 2008 financial crisis, nobody really took accountability for protecting consumers. Each agency had a small piece of it. Um, There was a lot of finger pointing in the lead up to the crisis. And this time around, the CFPB um, is clearly the one agency that has the top priority of protecting consumers. And it really shows they've done an amazing job over the past 10 years, mostly under Director Cordray, um, returning $12.5 billion to consumers. And of course, as Senator Warren often points out, that's that's just the tip of the iceberg because um, the actual money returned is dwarfed by the amount of money that was saved because the CFPB stopped bad practices in their tracks and um, were not being ripped off anymore by the, the particular types of conduct that the Bureau stopped. I think that's true. And from my perspective, representing industry and banks and, and institutions that are subject to CFPB jurisdiction, um, 
look, there was always compliance um, with with uh, depository institutions like banks because of prudential regulators. But for non-banks, there was compliance, but it never went to the top of the food chain. And clearly, with the Bureau's presence, compliance went to the, you know, the head of the line compared to so many other things financial institutions needed to worry about. And I think by doing that, clearly, all of these institutions, whether depository or non-depository, were certainly better positioned, better capitalized once, unfortunately, this pandemic hit. Now, clearly, consumers are suffering because of this, because of job loss um, and loss of income. But I think our financial system is not on the brink of collapse like it was in 2008. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And I think in particular, the mortgage market um, is certainly much better protected. Um, it, it you know, remains to be seen. We're very concerned that the mortgage servicers are going to face um, shortages in staffing and have a really hard time when the CARES Act forbearances expire. Um, but we're hoping, of course, that the that that the vaccine or or you know some kind of treatment is in place by that by the time they expire in March. Um, and we do have a concern, though, that that. A lot of institutions are not going to have enough staff in place and that they will face a crunch of modification requests. And um, in order to comply with the CFPB's mortgage servicing rules, they're going to really need to staff up better. But none of that was in place in 2008, 2009. And uh, we had just a horrible foreclosure crisis that I think could have been prevented or at least mitigated had the CFPB's mortgage servicing rules been in effect back then. I think that's right. And, and again, I think just the, the Bureau's presence, you know, it was interesting. Once COVID happened, you saw a lot of um, press releases, memos that came out from financial institutions that said, hey, you know, we're, we're going into something we've never been before. Consumers are going to be, infect, be affected. And the, the kind of mantra was, you need to work with consumers. And that was coming from the banks. That's not something you heard from banking institutions back in 2008, as you say, when the foreclosure crisis happened. So there's definitely been a new way of thinking, a new way of, of working with consumers that I, I agree with you. I think that the CFPB's presence alone has created a new culture uh, of compliance and I think that's been really helpful. And uh, I, I, I kudos to you and your team 10 years ago, sitting in a room probably with no windows <laughs> and drawing up this agency. It, it really was impactful. It definitely changed the paradigm of how financial institutions work with their customers. And I think that was really important. So thank you again for, for doing that. It certainly made my practice a lot busier. So I thank you for that as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, it was interesting. Um, I, you know, you and I kind of crossed paths uh, while, while I was um, sitting on the cab and you were at the Bureau and, and we remained in touch over the years. And I was so excited to see three years ago when you joined um uh, the AG's office. And one of the first things that you and General Shapiro did was start a mini CFPB. You called it the Consumer Financial Protection Unit. And I think you were the first AG's office in the country 
to, to really do that. I think others focused on, all AG's office focused on consumer pre- uh, protection, but you devoted a particular department to that. Talk a little bit about why you did it and, and some of the things that you're doing um, in your department right now. Sure. Um, well, General Shapiro was elected in 2016. And so when he was coming into office, of course, Trump was coming into the White House and there was an expectation that there would be major changes at the federal level. Um, Cordray's term as bureau director was not set to expire until uh, early 2018. But nonetheless, um, you know, we all recognized that there would be significant changes. And so General Shapiro said, let's do more at the state level. Um, and he, he hired me to come in and start this consumer financial protection unit to consolidate resources within our agency and um, focus on doing more complex work like the Navient lawsuit, uh, like the Equifax data breach case and the, the Wells Fargo multi-state. Um, so we already had been doing good work in the consumer finance space, but we didn't have a single part of our office that only focused on consumer finance. And, and now we do, and we devote um, significantly more resources to consumer finance cases than we did in the past. And I think it's really made a big difference to consumers. Uh, just, just in the last three years that we've been doing this work, we've returned $35 million to consumers in the form of restitution, and we've had $108 million in debt canceled um, for Pennsylvania residents, mostly student loan debt tied to uh, colleges that shut down, such as ITT Tech and Corinthian. So that's $143 million that's back in the pockets of Pennsylvania consumers. And um, at the same time, we've also returned $24 million to the Pennsylvania taxpayers in the form of uh, payments to the Treasury. So we've we've made a big impact um, in that time. And of course, the numbers don't show what I said earlier, that the rest of the iceberg, which is the deterrence and the preventative effect we're having on, on stopping bad conduct, um, you know, the types of injunctive relief that we get in our orders. Uh, I think Equifax is a good example where really groundbreaking uh, privacy and, and data security protections were in place in that, in that multi-state settlement. And uh, we're very proud of that work. That's terrific. Um, I was talking with some uh, colleagues down in Texas at the Texas AG's office. And um, one of them said, you know, the thing that's keeping them busy right now is price gouging um, matters because of COVID, you know, taking advantage of consumers who need services, you know, uh, because either you're, you're, it's a stay at home or there's just not that many, you know, because the supply chain and everything else has been so disruptive. Are you seeing that in Pennsylvania as well? Absolutely. Um, we had over 5,000 complaints of price gouging come in starting in mid-March, and the AG made a big uh, push for consumers to file complaints with us. We set up a whole price gouging, uh, for the lack of a better word, a task force, where we were sending out cease and desist letters and subpoenas at a very rapid clip. And we ended up settling with, I think, 21 companies. We got assurances of voluntary compliance where the companies agreed to provide refunds to the consumers. And we filed one lawsuit 
Um, I filed it in Philadelphia against a company called um, M&B Multiservices. And what they were doing is they were selling hand sanitizer on Amazon for $75 a bottle. Oh my. So we, we shut that down and um, we're seeking significant penalties and, and restitution. And we're hoping we can come to an agreement with that company as well to, to fully refund consumers for the, the charges. Excellent. Excellent. Um, let me switch gears just a little bit. So about two weeks ago, um, the California legislature, um, I don't know how they did this in the midst of a pandemic and the horrible fires that they're dealing with, did approve um, uh, an amended budget, which would then um, have through their Department of Business Oversight, another mini CFPB, which I think is being run by your colleague, Manny Alvarez, who you served with at the CFPB. Do you see a trend there? Uh, Certainly that California CFPB is going to be a very formidable regulator, given the size of the state of California. But do you see other states doing what Pennsylvania did and now what California has done? I do. I think... um you know, the big the big states that have always had a huge impact in this area, California, New York, Illinois, Massachusetts, um, Iowa, of course, even though they're a smaller state, they really have a major impact on consumer finance and, and multi-states in general. But yeah, we've seen, in addition to Manny, of course, out there in California, New York hired Christy Angelo to work for the AG's office and run consumer finance as well as antitrust in other areas. Uh, Paul Rodriguez is in New Jersey and he has made a big impact. His team is significantly expanding the New Jersey AG's office, which was allowed to really shrink under Chris Christie and under governor Murphy, because of course the AG in New Jersey is appointed, not elected. Um, the AG has expanded the office and, and tasked Paul with making a, a somewhat of a mini CFPB over there. And we work closely together with with him and uh, Chris D'Angelo. And then Martha Fulford is another CFPB alum who I want to mention in in Colorado. And she is, I think, it's the consumer credit administrator out there. And they just had a big, big win in federal court uh, against Marlette funding. Um, And the neat thing about Martha's office is she has supervisory authority within the attorney general's office. And that's a very pretty unique thing. I don't know how many states have that, but as you know, most states separate their, their bank supervision from their attorney general's office and Colorado has it in one place. Right. I actually just did a podcast regarding that pol- that Colorado uh, uh, settlement. And that that's going to be interesting because I think it lays the groundwork of how fintechs um, can, par- you know, and, and their bank partnerships can operate in certain states. There's a, there was never really any kind of framework around that. So I think that kind of sets somewhat of a be- best practice uh, for that. So interesting. Well, you know, uh, I will say about Richard Cordray, he he trained you all very well. He was a wonderful leader, and uh, it's nice to see you all kind of spreading the word and and going into your respective areas and doing the work that you do. So let me ask you finally, you know, what trends do you see in the coming year as we we start to hopefully come out of COVID and, and can come out on the other end of this crisis what will be the big consumer protection trends uh, that you that you will see, especially in Pennsylvania? 
So I think um, it really depends on what happens with the election. Yep. One thing we'll have, regardless of who's the next president, is the mortgage issue. Um, obviously, that's that's going to be hanging over us. And come the end of the CARES Act forbearances in March, a lot of homeowners are going to be falling behind because of continued unemployment. And already we have serious delinquencies at a, at a really high level. And um, so there needs to be a lot of attention paid by AGs, state regulators, and federal agencies to the, the coming mortgage foreclosure crisis. Um, student debt's always going to be big. And we're continuing to work on our, our lawsuit against Navient and a number of other states have lawsuits against Navient and other loan servicers. Uh, I think you mentioned the bank, the rent-a-bank lending. Uh, if, if Trump stays in office, I think we're going to see a lot of online payday lenders trying to come back into states like Pennsylvania. And uh, we are ready for them and we are eager to sue them as soon as they set foot in our state. Um, we settled with Think Finance, which was a big online payday lender, and they had used the rent-a-bank model when it was still legal, and then they switched to the rent-a-tribe model, and we won motions to dismiss against them and against their hedge fund backers, a company called Victory Park Capital. Um, so we are spending a lot of time trying to defend the Pennsylvania usury law because we have car title lenders outside Pennsylvania. They're making loans to Pennsylvanians and encumbering their titles and then coming into Pennsylvania and repossessing their cars. Uh, so we are, we're ready and, you know, we're fighting against the OCC's proposed rule. We've filed a comment on that. So we're trying to do everything we can to keep high interest lending out of Pennsylvania because, um, you know, we have strong usury laws like a lot of states yep. and we'll do what it takes to defend them. Yeah, I was going to say, I think usury is going to be a big issue in the coming year because there is going to be a desire for credit. Um, you know, People are going to need money and um, their credit is going to be compromised. And unfortunately, they're going to turn to an alternative type of lending. And that's where usury, unfortunately, can go awry. Definitely. Um, well, Nick, thank you so much for, for jumping on the show and giving us an update on all the good work uh, that the Pennsylvania AG and your uh, Consumer Financial Protection Unit is doing. I truly appreciate it. Before I let you go, we always ask our guests, uh, because this is a to-go theme podcast, if you have any uh, to-go experiences that you can share with us while you have been sheltering in place with your family over these last several months. Well, I'll tell you, um, of course, I have a four-year-old and a six-year-old. We've been home with them and trying to keep them healthy and keep our, ourselves healthy. And so we wanted to get the flu shot as soon as it was available. And their pediatrician's office wasn't going to offer it until September. But we learned that Target was offering it back in August. So we told our daughters we were going to go get flu shots at Target and that they agreed to do it. They could each have a $10 budget to spend on toys at Target. And uh, that that worked. We, we went there. Um, <laughs> I got my shot first. And I got to say, they, they use these new needles. I don't know what they're called, but they you don't feel it at all. It's really incredible. And so the kids, um, after they got their shots, they were 
they were so amazed. There was no crying. And they said they, they want to go back to Target every year to get their flu shot. <laughs> well, you're, you're teaching them healthy habits, which is good. And that is, uh, that is a, that's a great story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, also, at Credit Eco to Go, uh, we, we like to support the community. Um, so I'd like to give a shout out. Uh, we talk, I asked my guest about um, regional or local charities that they have, uh, they either work with. And I just want to give a shout out right now to Fuel the Fight Philadelphia, which is in partnership with World Central Kitchen. You may be familiar when you were living in D.C. with Jose Andreas. He had several restaurants in D.C. He has restaurants all over the world. And he has started an organization where uh, he connects restaurants who are suffering, obviously, because either through takeout or they can't have full capacity. And he's buying meals and then turning around and serving those meals to frontline workers. So I want to give a shout out to Fuel, uh, Fight the Fuel Philly for doing such great work. And again, Nick, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, thanks to all our loyal Credit Eco to Go listeners for tuning in and logging on. All episodes of Credit Eco to Go can be found on Buzzsprout and Spotify as well as iTunes. Information on our podcast can be found on my Clark Hill bio page as well as my LinkedIn page. If you'd like to be a guest on Credit Eco to Go, uh, please email us at creditecotogo at clarkhill.com. Thank you. Be well. And thanks, Joanne. This podcast is intended for general education and informational purposes only and should not be regarded as either legal advice or a legal opinion. You should not act upon or use this publication or any of its contents for any specific situation. Recipients are cautioned to obtain legal advice from their legal counsel with respect to any decision or course of action contemplated in a specific situation. Clark Hill PLC and its attorneys provide legal advice only after establishing an attorney-client relationship through a written attorney-client engagement agreement. This recording does not establish an attorney-client relationship with any recipient.